Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to The Tangled Mess Show with Deb Rojas on the Four Persons Network. With the help of our Heavenly Mother Mary, we seek to untangle the messes we find and sometimes create in our own lives. If you have a comment or question, drop it in the show chat room or call into the show by dialing 515-602-9655. That number again is 515-602-9655. And now, let's welcome Deb Rojas. John Miller's here, colleague of mine. Um, yes, a tangled mess. Are you or someone you know in a tangled mess, or do you feel like your life is a tangled mess? Um, have you asked yourself, how on earth can I resolve this situation? Well, we are here to talk about the tangled messes of life and how, by the grace of God and through the help of our blessed Mother Mary, especially Mary and Doer of Knots. We, um, we have hope for freedom from these, uh, these tangled messes. So today um, we're hoping to talk about, um, so a, a, a very non-Easter subject, <laughs> but, uh, but moving right along. <laughs> we are, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a Good Friday subject, but always with the hope of Easter. So we'll talk about Good Friday a little bit and adoration of the cross and how that informs our um, our existence of suffering. And Fred is still scratching his head, going, "Why? Why? Why this now?" Um, but it's because we're still processing good. There's so much that happens Holy Week, you know, and it it really it informs our lives. It informs how we live. It informs our suffering and. Um, and so we're looking forward to talking about that. And then also, you know, we'll, we'll carry that into talking about a case and how, how that actually, like practically speaking, how does that affect our lives. Um, cool. So, yeah. Anything you wanted to add to that, Fred? Nope. Um, it would be a very good Friday if it were Friday. From, uh, from my point of view, every Friday is good. No, just kidding. Uh, no, I look forward to hearing. <laughs> I look forward to hearing what you have to say about it. Uh, I know you mentioned that to me before, but uh, I think there are probably hidden depths. Yes, oh, there are always hidden depths, are there not? Yes, ma'am. Yes, indeed. Ever deeper. Ever deeper, yes. Um, you know, the conversation actually started uh, started kind of with clients before, well before Holy Week. Um, because, you know, clients generally aren't coming in with, like, a lot of happy stories. They're coming in dealing with difficulty. Mm-hmm. Sometimes wish they would. You sometimes tell me, tell me the good stuff, guys. Come on. Um, I have yet to have that happen. No, it's typically it's typically At least happen. on the first day. <laughs> Definitely not the first day. Actually, it is great when a client comes in and they're like, guess what? This wonderful thing is happening. And yeah, sometimes after a little while, yeah, it and does. then you hear something. Yeah, you, know, you do. You get do. The it's, so, it's, it's great. That's cool. Um, but, you know, it's, as I was thinking about Holy Week, and, and I love the Triduum. I love, you know, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Vigil. Um, and I look forward to it all year long, and then I look back on it all year long. So it's just it's one of those liturgical points that is really, like, the summit of the liturgical year, like everything points to that and everything comes down from that. So, um, so in thinking about how that informs our view of suffering, um, particularly in the sense of a, a moment in the Good Friday liturgy. Dion, have you been to a Good Friday liturgy recently? 
Um, I did. I went to one uh, this this Good Friday at the cathedral. Okay. In Philadelphia. Okay. And I know Fred, you uh, you are are part of that regularly. Um, one of the things that stands out to me about those is that um, well, first of all, the prostrate the prostrate. The prostate. I don't know if they do it differently at your parish, but I'm not familiar Uh with that tradition. Yes. (laughs) Fred, are you? Say again. Are you familiar with the uh, the the tradition of the prostate at the beginning of the Good Friday Mass? I'm missing the word that you're saying. The cross uh, what? We're talking. We're talking about prostration, but I was getting oh. the word wrong. So, oh, right. You know, you you missed that. You missed a good moment there. Um, no. Uh, so yeah, Good Friday begins with with the priest and and the so you know it's silence, utter silence, and mm-hmm. um, you know the bare altar, and it's just it's such a a deep somber moment. Um, and then as the, the priest lays on the ground and just that offering of himself in silence, it's just such a profound moment. Um, and then we have the, it is, it's, it's beautiful. And it just, it's, uh, the way it starts everything off. It is. It's very profound. It draws you in. It draws you in. It's stark and bare. Um, but one of the, the things that comes after that, that we only experience once a year also, is when the cross is brought in. So how did they do that at the cathedral, Dion? Uh, I have to, hopefully, hopefully <laughs> I uh, pay attention. Uh, hopefully I remember. But um, I don't, I don't, they just carried it in. Yeah, they yeah, carried, they it. carried it in. Yeah. Um, I don't think... It's not like anyone was carrying it like Jesus. Like they, I think they carried it like multiple people. Mm-hmm. A big cross. Up, I think. A big cross. Um, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty, big, pretty large. Pretty, pretty good size. Yeah. What about your your parish, Fred? How big is the cross there? It's quite small. I think it's probably three feet, maybe four feet tall max. Is it a, a crucifix also, or is it just a a bare cross? Uh, no, it's a crucifix. Okay. Um, when I was working at St. Monica as the director of music, their cross is quite large, mm-hmm. and it's, it's not a crucifix. It's just a cross, and it's hmm. draped. And as the priest comes in, you know, the drape is removed slowly. Um, the cross is lifted, and the priest says, Behold the wood of the cross, mm-hmm. on which hung the salvation of the world. That's the one. And, yeah. um, and so with each cross, with each, um, chant of that, there is the uncovering, the further uncovering of the cross. And what is our reply to that? Do you guys remember? Um, I can't remember. I'm going to kick myself when you say it, but I don't remember. Come, let us adore. Right, right. <clears throat> and so I was thinking about this in the context of adore, like what, what are we adoring there? It says, behold the wood of the cross. And then our response is, come, let us adore. And then what do we do after the cross, the procession is all the way, is completed, the cross is set up at the front of the church. What do we do as the people of God in that particular corporate response? Uh, do we kneel? We go up individually and adore the cross. Oh, at the at that point. Yeah, yeah. at that point. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. So, so in thinking about that, it's that whole point of the liturgy is actually about adoring the cross, the instrument on which, through which Christ suffers. And so, you know, as a counselor, like I always like things kind of come back to helping and how we can, you know, take these powerful moments in the liturgy and in the life of Christ and use them for encouragement or or hope or mm-hmm. you know, like what whatever whatever the 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 meaning is behind it. And so you know, Christ says take up your cross and follow me. 
and that's you know we we equate we create equate faith with often with carrying our cross and the suffering that 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 is that 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 accompanies that. But how often do we consider adoring that cross? Like what typically what is our emotional response to the cross that we carry? Um, negativity. Negativity. Tell me more. Um, I like. I have the like a like a visceral like kind of like. I just want to like draw back and be like, like a, a bit horrified. Right. A bit horrified. Like mm-hmm. ew, ew. Yeah. And, like these are some words that come to mind. Like reject it. Like I, I would really prefer not to. <laughs> really prefer not to mm-hmm. carry my cross and even looking at Christ. I think, like, rightly understood, it's, it's very beautiful and very piercing, um, but, you know, you also can, I don't know, for me, at least when I think about it, I'm like, I'm still horrified as well. Yeah. I'm very horrified mm-hmm. at what I see. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, the natural response is to pull back. Unless you're Fred and you're like, bring it on. Suffering? Give me more. <laughs> well, that's why I'm on the show. Uh-huh. All right. one for Fred. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> <I like it. laughs> um, uh, the word that you're looking for there, um, if you study cognitive psychology, uh, the word that you want there is ego dystonic. You you don't want it. Uh, Pain Mm -hmm. is inherently something that you don't want or like. Mm -hmm. Mm. So if you want it and like it, it's almost like, well, that doesn't count then. Mm. So if you want I'm I'm thinking about, you know, the adoration of the cross. It's kind of mm-hmm. in a direct um, conflict. Yeah. With that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yeah. right? It's, yeah, instead of leaning away, like it's leaning forward. Right. We're, we're, you know, and we actually go forward. So why on earth would you want a pain or why would you want suffering? It's a great question. There can only and be has- one one explanation, right? Generically, I mean, there's a lot of different circumstances, but there can only mm-hmm. be one reason why you would ever want something that was painful emotionally or physically, and that is that you think that you'll get something better out of it. Yeah. Right, that yep. in some exactly. way it's good for you. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. There's a greater reward. That there's a great, yep. Than the, mm-hmm. the, the, the self-punishment that you're... Right, kind of, uh, and whatever pain will be inflicted you're, that you're is willingly yes, taking yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, Not exactly. But you're saying yes to You're it, accepting, so. yeah. You're accepting pain, discomfort. So you are willing, Struggle. in a sense. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. engaging it willingly, for sure. Um, so what then is the good that we gain from adoring first the cross of Christ and then secondly how can that inform an embracing of the suffering that God calls us to particularly Fred well um, these are uh, easy not very profound questions (laughs) sarcastically no, they are good questions, good questions. And uh, maybe the, the, the obvious answer for the first question is that um, we go from hopelessness to hope. Mm-hmm. Right? If we embrace the cross of Christ, that means that we have a chance to live. Right? Otherwise, all of us are under a death sentence, and it's only a matter of how long, like, how long are the stays of execution going to go on before we actually die a hopeless and terrible blackness sort of a death? 
But if you embrace the cross of Christ, then that's not the end, right? We will not be separated from our bodies, you know, a terrible, unnatural situation in which we are no longer moving, acting, and sensing in the world. But it's only temporary, right? We will be reunited with our body, and it will be a new body that doesn't have any of the flaws of the old body. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the sort of simple, straightforward answer. But I think there's more to it, too, because it's mm-hmm. not just a matter of pie in the sky. Right? It's not just a matter of shut up and take whatever you're given because the reward at the end is going to be good. Mm-hmm. It's actually that... You get a new way of life, and a this way of life, mm-hmm. yeah, is uh, the happiest way of life that can mm-hmm. be imagined. Everything else that has driven you crazy in your life <laughs> up to now mm-hmm. is dead, right? <clears throat> no, wrong. <laughs> it's what this is now. This is now made. <laughs> it all becomes meaningful. <laughs> Dion just couldn't understand what you were saying. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> Sorry. I was just taking a little opportunity to get a dig in. <laughs> so, so yeah. uh, suffering doesn't disappear, but suffering becomes meaningful. Meaningful. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It gives a different perspective to the the life that we live right now. So it's not like we only have hope because everything will finally be wonderful in eternity. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's actual redemption, salvific redemption and joy to be had in our suffering today. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think that you know, I mean, it's not you, you can't take away or divorce it from. You know, have like our heavenly homeland, mm-hmm. um, and that's a really powerful kind of concept or idea. Um, that, gratification that, that we have as Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, it is when you yeah. reflect on it. You know, I think it um, it's 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 incredible. I mean, like eternity mm-hmm. with like the beatific vision with like union with God forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's. But I think, at least for me, I can only like. That idea only takes me so far. It's like, what does that even mean? Like, it sounds like the best thing ever, but, like, what does that even really mean? Or look like. Um, yeah. So it's a bit intangible. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, you know, we have... A bit futuristic. Um, definitely, yeah, definitely not the here and now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's kind of like, it's it's useful, and there's we can philosophize about it and, and theologize about it, but, you know, none of us has ever really had, uh, you know, a full-on heaven experience. Mm-hmm. I think we get a taste of that sometimes in, in prayer, um, but but certainly not like it's going to be. You know, mm-hmm. I, hope, I hope it's much better. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, that being said, yes, and kind of diving into our experience, like now, here, here and now, it's like, I don't know, I, I see it as like there's, there's purification. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the purification actually can kind of whittle away or erode some of the hardness of heart that, mm-hmm. that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, so the cross itself can kind of actually even liberate me and, and liberate me to to love um, and to, to have more openness and tenderness and warmth in my heart. Absolutely. There's a, and in that, there's, there's real joy to be found here and now. Real joy. Not a chasing for happiness, but real joy in the presence of suffering. What is joy? What is joy? Yeah. Um, I'm not talking about just sort of being Pollyanna-ish, right, Like. Like everything's wonderful all the time, happy, happy, joy, joy. Yeah, like the meme, <laughs> the little dog sitting in the burning cafe or whatever it is. This is good. I like this. You know, not being silly or, or um, unsensible of the way things really are. So, what is that? 
But it's a very, very deep philosophical question, Fred. <laughs> Not easily answered. What is joy? <laughs> what is happiness? What is joy? Are they one and the same? Well, we could ask my friend St. Thomas, if you like. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. I can get my, my St. Thomas, my one minute a day St. Thomas, and see what he has to say about joy. <laughs> Does he have but something about joy in What if he so has while you up? look that up, I will tell you uh, what my memory is of it. <laughs> that is, joy, joy is an emotion. It's a, it's a passion, as St. Thomas would say, that is a reaction to getting what you really want. So obviously there are different qualities of joy, but ultimate joy is getting what the soul really, really wants, right? Which what is, is the fulfillment? Say that again, Deb. I said, which is? Yes. What does a soul really, really want? Gian was saying it just a minute ago. God. Mm-hmm. Beatific vision, right? Yeah, to know God, to love God, and to be known and loved by God. Right. Absolutely. So only the ultimate could could give you a sense of joy despite intense physical or emotional suffering. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like some kind of food analogy that's inadequate, of course, because all analogies are. But like, let's say you're, you know, getting a splinter pulled out of your finger. And at the same time, you're like, you know, you give a little kid a lollipop. Mm-hmm. Because the lollipop tastes good, and it like it's enjoyable, and so it you know kind of makes the makes the pain a little bit a little bit less mm-hmm. because you can focus more on the you know the the experience of the of the lollipop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. You know that's like a little tiny a little mini mini example. I like that, and I would say that it even goes beyond that because. Uh, the the splinter actually is what is getting you to the lollipop. Mm-hmm. So if you think about uh, mm-hmm. the, the the temporary and uh, sort of minor irritating pains of childbirth. I hope for a better reaction than that, but okay. No, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about your experience as a childbirth, Fred. <laughs> why do why do women put up with it? Because it is uh, what leads to the greatest joy of your life, you know, in many ways. Why did I skip an epidural? It was because the doctor came in and said, if you if you have an epidural, it'll probably be it'll slow down labor and it'll be a few hours. And if you don't have an epidural, the baby will be here in less than forty five minutes. And so I was like, well, the whole point of this is to see the baby. And so, excellent. you know, well, I thought I was going to die, and I didn't. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know. Did you do it again? <laughs> uh, that was my, that was actually, that was my last, and my last two I had without pain. Meds. So you, you did it once so and I, you did, I did it, it again. So I did it once mm-hmm. and I did it again. Yeah. yeah. For the joy, for the, the sooner joy, definitely, of seeing and knowing the one who the pain was for. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. So let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Um, Adore the wood of the cross. I thought that the distinction was between venerate and adore, right? You can venerate people who are great, who are heroes Mm -hmm. of the faith. But adoration is for Christ only? Adoration is for God alone, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus, and the Father, and the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Is that like poetic language? Or is well, that a we, word? I don't know. Go on. You know, that, that is a good question. I don't think we can separate the cross from Christ. Because the cross only only really has meaning and value for us because it's, how Christ was crucified. Mm-hmm. And so we adore the cross 
in that context because it it was the way through which he suffered that brought us to him. But that's creation, right? That's not the creator, it's the creation. That seems like Mm -hmm. it's wrong. So what's the story there? Let me see. I'm looking up the Latin. Let me see if I can find it for you. Are you going to translate it on the spot, too? Or can you only do that with Greek? Echelinium crucis, salus mundi dependit, venite adoremus. It does say adoremus. Yeah. Venite adoremus. It's just the same mm-hmm. as we at Christmas time, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I am not a um, uh, theologian. I would like to understand that. Or is it like uh, where we say the crown, right? The crown prefers mm-hmm. this. The crown mm-hmm. has moved and done that, which we really right. mean. Right, in that, it's like the, the cross is, not that the cross is Christ, but it's a but part it of Christ. it stands for Christ. Yeah, it stands for Christ. Could be. Anyway, it's an interesting I question. Becomes, I think it you know, becomes united yes. with him in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about a crucifix, you know, it's like he's, it's not just Christ. The, the crucifix is Christ on the cross. You know, so it's like we, that, that image is united in our, in our minds. It's in the story of Christianity. And kind of even physically, right? And like physically. he's nailed to it. Right. Like mm-hmm. his blood, his sweat is mm-hmm. pouring out and seeping into the pores mm-hmm. of, of, of the wood. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, that kind of can bring us to like God's vision to to bring mankind, you know, back and into mm-hmm. into himself, back into mm-hmm. union with with himself. Right. All of creation. Yeah. Reconciled. Reconciled, like brought back into love itself. So, so yes, we adore the cross. A lot of uh, you read a lot of things in the Middle Ages where they um, enjoy the the paradox. You know, mm-hmm. he created the tree that was used to make the cross, and he's mm-hmm. now being crucified upon it, mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, yeah. Well, there's also, too, that, you know, as the priest is bringing the cross in, you know, if you think of that journey as opposed to the journey of Christ to Calvary, that that's a very different journey, too. You know, it's, it, you know, it's one that's very worshipful, where the original journey was not. It was more full of mockery and and suffering, um, but that procession profoundly brings us back to that point in time, Holy Week. Um, so, in thinking about it as a counselor, it was like the question came to mind: How can we, in our own lives, first? Like, how can I, in my own life, look? at suffering in a way that instead of like John was talking about, like, I just, it's, it's, it's repellent. I just want to, I want to pull back. I want to get away. I want to have nothing to do with it. Um, and yet Christ is united to it and he's calling us to that as well. So instead of like looking at suffering and looking at difficulty as something that I want to escape, what, would the therapeutic effect be if instead I look at it as something that God is calling me to embrace? That is a a key question. So uh, if you think about um, modern psychotherapeutic theories and approaches, Mm -hmm. which one has anything like Embracing the wood of the cross. I mean, I can think of, uh, you know, two right off the bat, um, uh, you know, uh, mindfulness, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, you know, the practice of mindfulness, Catholic mindfulness, 
you know, you know, saying yes or moving moving toward the difficulty in your mind, and you know, just practicing that over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Um, and I think you know, it kind of it all starts with the with the battle of the mind, and then then you can start doing it, you know, with your with your words, with your actions, with things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think of. Um, you know things that like the the Gottmans talk about that, that Sue Johnson talks about with emotionally focused therapy mm-hmm. with just a very simple action of turning towards one another mm-hmm. and engaging one another emotionally mm-hmm. and entering into that you know Accepting. full full bodied emotional response yep. and it's 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 vulnerable it's mm-hmm. it's scary and it and it and it's hard and it takes effort mm-hmm. and it is incredibly rewarding mm-hmm. and it makes for you know, quality relationships. So, you know, you bring up the emotionally focused therapy um, for couples and how that, that works for when a, when couples can look at each other and say, you know, some of your parts actually cause me pain, but I'm going to love them anyway and accept them anyway and be present to you with all of myself, even though it's scary. It's incredibly vulnerable. And, you know, like another, you had asked about um, methods of therapy that, that talked about embracing this. IFS is very much in that as well, in the sense of in, internal family systems, that um, within that concept, there are no bad parts. That doesn't mean that parts don't do things that are not morally wrong. Um, but it means that in the therapeutic setting, being able to look at and accept every single part, regardless of the burdens that it carries, and being able to love and care for each part of us within that context, um, you know, is also it's 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 courageous love. Courageous. And, in what sense? Courageous in what sense? Courageous in the sense that it doesn't flee from the difficulty. It actually goes toward it. Right. right. So, Gian uh, was talking about going towards the difficulty, I think, in the first thing he mentioned. Is that right, Gian? In mindfulness? Uh, for mindfulness. Catholic yeah. mindfulness, yeah. Yeah, mindfulness. How do you mean going towards the difficulty? Sorry, you say that again. I talked over you. I didn't really have anything else to add, you know, just whether it's mindfulness or Catholic mindfulness, which I'm an advocate and, and fan of, um, you know, but mindfulness itself, I do believe can have some natural benefits. I would just be cautious about some of the Buddhist roots that, uh, you know, certain people may kind of intertwine that a little bit more than I think would be, you know, at least I would, I would recommend. You're not talking about class. Classic mindfulness, uh, but Catholic mindfulness. And so, and you were saying, basically, yeah. I mean, I think there's probably some mindfulness out there that's not Catholic. It's still pretty good, but you know. Okay. So it's, what do you? Can you just clarify for our listeners what you mean by mindfulness? Because it's a real buzzword, and I know a lot of people, because of its Eastern um, connotation, like connections, have a tendency to really react very strongly to it as something that's going to lead more to a place of darkness than restoration and healing. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's why I would kind of point someone towards Dr. Greg Bataro and his Catholic mindfulness program, because I think he does a really good job of, of safeguarding the, the, uh, I would say, you know, the tools of mindfulness, the, the practices mm-hmm. that are really uh, quite quite benign in their own right um, and but pretty neutral. They're just kind of things you do, mental exercises, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, and he kind of incorpor- discipline. incorporates them into, you know, Catholic spirituality and anthropology. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, does that answer your question? I think I got yeah. lost a little bit there. No, no, but no, that's but I do think, yeah, it's because, because we do want to connect it. And, and, you know, if there are any, if there's anything we find that's a, problematic, we do want to sever those ties. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the good things about it that you were talking about was that approach to suffering. So suppose my client has a um, uh, uh, phobia, right? Suppose there's a uh, acrophobia, right? Fear of heights. And we've tried a number of things and we don't seem to be getting to it, right? It seems to be 
sticking w with this person. So uh, the thing that you're talking about, going towards the suffering, is that what you said? How, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid of heights, so how does that work? <laughs> it works great. <laughs> I think it would start, say, it would start in the imagination. <laughs> it would start in the imagination. <laughs> if one is so inclined to to to. My heart's racing just to, thinking about to it. get over this fear, which someone could probably live a pretty well functioning life without ever doing. Mm -hmm. um, you know. <laughs> My hand is but, raised. But if you were, if you are so inclined, I do think it would it would begin in the mind and the imagination, in basically you know, imagining yourself in various situations where you're encountering heights, you know, uh, to an increasing degree. Starting small, starting small. <laughs> okay, so I uh, often repeat that, like, um, I don't want to say mantra, because <laughs> I really don't believe in mantras. But as, <laughs> as a good aphorism, that uh, avoidance is one of the main symptoms of all anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. So not only do people want to avoid heights, they want to avoid places where they might run into heights and they want to avoid even thinking about it sooner or later, right? Mm -hmm. So even talking about it makes certain people's hearts race, right? Mm -hmm. People who are really bad off and far gone. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They also hike in very high places <laughs> and go on very tall buildings and don't freak out. Right. But, uh, so instead of uh, avoiding that and not Let's not talk about heights. Instead of doing that, you're saying that you go right into it, right? You imagine it full on. Is that right? That's right. Okay, cool. So I, was that's at the Falls, I was at Falls River, um, which is, you know, uh, a lot of high waterfalls and, and rocks and um, precipices and cliffs and all very, very, very high above the, the water level where the river is. And when you hike, you're like you're hiking up on that cliff level, and then you get to kind of look down. And at certain points, it was like a straight down drop of like 120 or more feet. Um, so I did allow myself to kind of look over in certain places, but I could feel like my body reaction. I was I would get a little dizzy, but I knew I was on solid ground, and I knew it wasn't you know the ground wasn't going to crumble underneath me, and there was no danger, even though it felt dangerous. Right. You know. So in that in that mental space, you know, Gian, that you talked about, like, I've, I've definitely been able to address the, the reality of a height versus, you know, the fear of of something happening because of the height. They're not the same thing. You know, like, I can be on a, on a, on a, on a high building where if I fell, I would die. But just because I'm on the high building doesn't mean I'm going to fall or die. You know? Okay. So within that, there has to be a trust of the guardrails or the, you know, the, the windows or whatever kind of safety okay. yeah. Um, yeah. precautions are there. Yeah. So even though it's a little, it's uncomfortable and a little, like, unsettling, it's not, like, terrifying. Fear becomes yeah. realistic in some way. Right. right? Like, not, not that right. it never happened, mm -hmm. but that, like, there's some pretty good reasons right. to feel safe. Which is really kind of a mindfulness thing because I'm reminding myself, like, what is the floor? What are the rocks? You know, what is what is safety? What is safe? So it's kind of like bringing all of those reality things back to back to mind. Um, Fred, do you mind if I hijack with another, with another case? Absolutely. No, I mean, um, I don't mind. <laughs> Let <laughs> me just say, if you are listening right now or even recorded, you can call in at 515-602-9655. If you have questions or comments for us, please call 515-602-9655. Hit it, Deb. Okay, so going back to not fleeing suffering, embracing the cross, adoring the cross. Um, you know, often we hear cases in counseling of women coming in who are saying, you know, my husband, you know, life with him is very, very difficult. And, and it, you know, they'll paint a picture of, of real oppression, whether it's verbal or 
um, you know, obviously if it's an unsafe um, environment, then like dangerous, actually dangerous, then we want to get her out of it. But often it's not actually like physically dangerous, it's just difficult. So we often hear about those. But today, um, I want to flip it because we also hear about the husbands, the husbands who have very critical wives who, you know, really create a very unhappy home. We hear a lot less about them, but definitely see them within a counseling context. So since I have you guys both here, you know, just thinking about how we can, um, like, how would you deal with that within a therapeutic setting in the, especially like along the lines of the discussion that we've had thus far in the sense of really embracing, embracing the cross. So, <laughs> um, let me talk about it from a cognitive behavioral point of view, since we all realize that that is the best point of view. I'm kidding. <laughs> the value of cognitive. So humble. The cognitive behavioral uh, approach, uh, the value of it, is that um, if I can learn it, anyone can learn it, right? Um, it's simple, right? It's straightforward. It doesn't take a whole lot of, I say that, but the more you do it, the more you realize that the real, or in cognitive behavioral therapy, okay, we're looking for um, any sort of corrections we might make in the thinking, right? In the sort of a propositional uh, uh, knowledge, any sort of sentences that people are saying to themselves, probably just under the level of consciousness, but also deeper assumptions or beliefs that might be slightly astray, awry, so that it affects um, the way they're able to uh, carry on their lives day to day, but it also affects the way they feel. Because we know that emotions, traditionally called passions because they're passive, come from uh, thoughts, right? come from beliefs or thoughts. It comes from people's worldviews or the things that they say either out loud in their heads or uh, lower down in their unconscious. Mm -hmm. um, so what we're looking for is ways to improve people's thinking or their behaviors so that their feelings will improve. Um, it works great. It's simple. It's effective. But I feel like you're enough? trying to sell CBT to me, Fred. I'm not. I'm not. Don't but worry. It's really helpful for our listeners because you know there are many different approaches to therapy, and they're 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 like all of all of them are have their goods, um, and all of them also depend on the good of the relationship between the counselor and the, and the client. So, um, you know, if you were using this particular, um, if you were using CBT with a guy who was really struggling with a, a critical wife, how would you apply it? Well, the first thing is that the uh, the, the real problem is in the room, right? Mm-hmm. Evidently. So a lot of times you have that situation where you can only work with one half of the problem or less. Mm -hmm. But um, or the less, only thing yeah. or less. The only thing that you can really do is try to find a person, um, number one, find uh, things to do that might make it likely or more likely that the other person will change their pattern of behavior. Mm -hmm. Or two, which I mean, and that's kind of a long shot because we have no idea, right? All we have is uh, this person. Very good account. question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the other thing is to find ways to live with something that's difficult. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I love cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, but of course it's not enough, right? So, how do you feel about CBT? <laughs> 
<laughs> Are you a CBT guy? It's I. I'm a Thomist, honestly. I use <laughs> CBT. The CBT is like a <laughs> Monet, right? Do you remember the great painter Monet? No. Are you kidding? <laughs> oh my word! <laughs> the water lilies and all that stuff. <laughs> so they said, "Oh, Monet is just an eye, right? Because of his technique. It was all technique with him of getting the right little dots of color." So that they form an impression that seems very evocative of a, of a summer's day uh, in rural France, whatever. Monet is just an eye, but what an eye, right? That's how I feel about CBT. CBT is just a technique, but it is a great technique. But to, mm-hmm. to provide a framework, it's not enough, right? Mm-hmm. If I get a client in here and I remove all the mistakes that they have made and the things that mm-hmm. they have said to themselves that's still not the definition of a happy life. Mm-hmm. And so what could be some examples of things a client? All right. I mean, there's so many different factors, different ways that we could, we could address this particular situation. Sure. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we, we don't know necessarily um, all of the, all of the dynamic. We only have basically like half of the, half of the problem, like part of the, the presenting problem isn't even in the room. But we do have the response, you know, like how the client responds behaviorally, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, what the client is telling himself about, you know, about his wife and what she's saying, you know, what she's saying to him. So, you know, in that sense, the story he's telling himself there, what Mm -hmm. he's saying she thinks about him, um, how he's feeding his attitude towards her, so there, there are different things within his own area of responsibility that he can address that have absolutely nothing to do with her, but can can affect, like you're saying, can affect potentially some. Um, yeah, and, and all of that has to be put into a context, right? Mm-hmm. All of that has to be in a worldview, as a lot of people at that point would begin to work on. So if I'm CBT. I would work on him on why are you doing something that's irrational and hanging around someone who doesn't make you happy, right? But from our point of view as Catholics and Christians, um, marriage is forever, right? Marriage is permanent. And even if it's not a um, sacramental marriage, we're going to lean heavily on trying to preserve that because maybe there's kids involved, right? And to give those kids what they really deserve. Naturally speaking, it's, it's yeah. just it just leads to better outcomes. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to uh, work on how his thoughts about trying to make the marriage work when it obviously is not ever going to work. No, that's irrational. That's irrational. Well, embracing the wood of the cross might not seem rational to people who don't understand or who who don't believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for us, there is no more rational thing than to embrace the cross. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Because short-term, it means like something that we really, really don't want. It's either mm-hmm. disgusting, repellent, or, you know, we, we really don't want it. But overall, we want something else that is much greater than that, much better than that. Mm-hmm. So that... Uh, yeah, there are things that I can tell this guy how to endure it better. And maybe he can try a few things. He can say things differently to try to get a different result. But it might be that there's uh, a lot of suffering that he will have to accept. If you have two people in the room, you can do the emotional, how is it called? Emotional focus. It's modern mm-hmm. lumbo jumbo. EFT. Oh, and they both do it, and they both are so happy, right? And that's great. I love that stuff. But a lot of times, you ain't got both of them in the room, even if physically they're sitting there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one person does the EFT thing, and the other person stabs them in the back. Mm-hmm. And what do you do with that? You know, if you really don't believe in marriage except as a convenience or as a um, fulfillment of a person's, uh, you know, ego, then you'd be like, why are you hanging around here? It's not rational. You know, you need to get on with it and split. But 
Well, I, I mean, I think of it as a as a boundaries thing, um, and uh, so there are certain things that you you know that you, through your autonomy you have some amount of of control over what you're going to allow in your life and what you're not going to allow in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in a marriage that gets certainly much more you know tricky than, mm-hmm. than if, if it's just a, a colleague or a friend or somebody you right. Right. Um, easily say, you know, I'm just, I'm just not going to, I'm going to, you know, very directly say, you know, I, you know, you can treat me a certain way or you can, you know, not be in my life. Um, in close friendships, in marriages, in families, it does get certainly, certainly more difficult and, and delicate. Um, and so uh, I think that, um, uh, you, you still, there's still, I think, some responsibility to set a boundary on the on behalf of the person who's being, mm-hmm. uh, we'll say, you know, criticized or belittled, excessively criticized or belittled, um, you know, on any kind of regular basis. Um, so he, um, he comes in every night and his wife greets him with the rolling pin, right? <laughs> the traditional, <laughs> or a clothes hanger across the back of the thighs. <laughs> Right. Um, but is that embracing the wood of the cross to like, well, I got bruises from the rolling pin across my back. I've got the welts from the uh, clothes hanger across my thighs, but, you know, I'm called to suffer, so I'm just going to stay here. Is that what you're talking about with boundaries? How do you know where the boundary is? How would you? I, I, I don't I don't think so. I don't think that is the, the cross. I, I think that that is. Um... I, th- I think that the person, the man in that situation, in this situation, has a responsibility to stand up and to not endure uh, a suffering um, that is not going to be good for either person. It's physically um, abusive. It's. Uh, I, I don't think it's impossible. To think of it as part of the cross, and I think certainly in retrospect, it's part of the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, going forward, like let's let's talk about how we can effectively end this behavior. Um, and mm-hmm. and uh, there's no two ways about it. I mean, uh, you know, on one hand, it is a marriage, um, but on another hand, if someone is going to treat you in a certain way, you know, they are not going to get some of the benefits of having you in their life. They're not really entering um, into the marriage. The, 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 the one who is doing the abusive behavior. Right. Um, no, they're, they're not. So they don't get to get the benefits, I would mm-hmm. say, of, 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 the, of the other party. And exactly what that looks like, there's a lot of nuances here. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, there you're, you, can, you can definitely do some things, you know, uh, to – um, not to be like a jerk, but just to just to, you know, quite simply not not engage. To say this know? is unacceptable. This is, this is you know I'm I'm going to have a certain standard mm-hmm. you know and you're going to treat me by that standard or I'm mm-hmm. you know I'm not going to be you know as invested in this relationship you know and that's just for my own good uh, that's for my right. own thing. But don't and you think, think sometimes like nowadays? Sorry, Gian, I, I talked over you. Say that That's again. okay. I was just going to Well, uh, I was going to ask you, don't you think sometimes these days that we extend language to areas that it does not really technically or uh, objectively refer to? In other words, here's what I mean. We have abuse, right? No one should put up with abuse. No one should put up with someone else beating them up or um, physically harming them, especially not in a marriage. Okay. Well, now we call things verbal abuse, right? So isn't that just like saying this person is unpleasant, they're grumpy, or they're irritable, they're not very nice. 
But instead of saying that, we say it's verbal abuse, and now therefore we have an excuse to vamoose. What do you think? Or is there such a thing as verbal abuse? What would that be? What's, what's the yeah, line? I definitely think there is such a thing as verbal abuse. Here's an example of verbal abuse. Um, go ahead. Yeah. If a spouse says to the other spouse, you're worthless to me. So if one spouse says to the other spouse, you're worthless, is that what you're saying? Yeah, you're worthless to me in the sense of, like, you have absolutely no value to me. Well, that hurts my feelings. <laughs> and, I mean, isn't that, like, I mean, that's not very nice, but, I mean, that's not the same as being whipped across the back of the legs with a... With a but it's the only pain and the only suffering that's acute suffering of the body. Oh, you're saying is the only pain a physical pain? Oh, yeah, well, no. Sorry, what were you going to say, Gian? Um, I was just going to say, I mean, I think that there is a there is a line, you know, if someone is raising their voice, um, you know, if someone is attempting, you know, as far as we can tell, to inflict pain on a person, uh, if someone is using um, really, really strong language, uh, this, these kinds of things can be um, really psychologically damaging. I think mm-hmm. I think it goes past like a you know a careless comment that hurt my feelings like this. Right. This can be really damaging to a person's sense of self, mm-hmm. their sense of worth and dignity, their ability to carry themselves, you know, with, mm-hmm. with their with their shoulders back and um, you know their head high in their own life. Um, to 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 be able to you know put up with that kind of thing it's just it, it can just be very very harmful well, and so when you think about it i think the perspective verbal abuse does exist and i think that you know it could be it could be misused it could be misused that term i, I do agree with oh, that. 100%. all right deb i want to hear what you have to say and then i want to put in a commercial before our time runs out absolutely you know in that we're talking about this too from the perspective of of men who are beaten down you know, like what it does to a man and a man's concept of who he is as a man. I think, you know, this has a really profound effect on a man's dignity um, to experience constant Absolutely. harassment. I and think so, that's true. And I would like to think more about it, honestly. Uh, I would like to know, because a lot of the um, saints you can find went through horrible marriages, you know, and they endured it heroically. Mm-hmm. What did they have, you know? Yeah. And can we extend that? You know, can we bottle that and give it to our clients? Mm. So, before you go, remember that every day, <laughs> 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Central, and so forth, we have great, uh, great content here on the four persons podcast, uh, especially on Thursday, which is, Gian, have you been on my show yet? Um, I have not yet, not yet. Oh, man. Okay, we got to get Gian on Thursday. Thursday is uncounted. you free to advertise your show right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking over this show because, yeah, it's like a parasite. But every day, there's great uh, content and podcast mm-hmm. on the Four Persons uh, podcast. Um, this is co-sponsored um, by St. Barnabas Reconciliation Ministries, a Catholic organization dedicated to reconciliation between uh, family members, between denominations, and between mm-hmm. all people in God. Amen. So if you want to get a hold of St. Barn, please go to stbarn.org, S-C-B-A-R-N. Dot O-R-G. And if you would like to talk to Gian or Deb, you can call this number. 610-601-9781. Or you can look up integritycounselingpa.org and find us both there. Gian, Millis, and I both work for Integrity Counseling Services. And King of so telephone number one more time. 610 610- or you can go to stbarn.org.org and we will pass on the message 
Thank you very much for being with us tonight. Last word. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Gian. It really is it's such a joy to have these conversations and to learn with you in them. Um, it really is very much that effect. So stay with us for the Tangled Mess next week. Blessings. <laughs> Bye. I guess that if uh, we are recording now, it will. He can edit it, it out, so maybe it doesn't matter. There you go. It's not live anyway at this point. Not. No, it's, the live goes off at the hour mark, right? But it continues to record. Right. 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 Yeah. So we're good. Okay. We're good. Yeah. Although I'm not sure, like, what the. I kind of like the idea of people emailing questions in. How do they email? Uh, well, they would have to email, um, either email me at Deborah House Counseling mm-hmm. or email you through St. Barnes. Uh, how are they, uh, if people are listening live, like how are they accessing? Through, um, through a link that, that John Banco posts on Facebook. And there are like three people listening live to me. So it's not even like, I don't think listening live is like good, the, the main thing. I think it's more so just because they have questions for counselors. So working. Literally nothing is working.